This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 189 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest this week is John Ayers, Executive Vice President, Chief Strategy Product Officer, and Head of Security Operations at NewSpire, a managed security services company. Our conversation centers on John's assertion that threat hunting has become an indispensable element of security strategy for many organizations. He explains the evolution of threats that led him to that conclusion, and we'll discuss how organizations can best approach implementing threat hunting into their own defensive plans. Stay with us. So where did I get my start? I would say I'd have to take back to uh, my military and law enforcement days. So physical security, of course, close protection uh, details. Um, So I've been in this space probably since the age of 17 in some form or fashion and security. Um, I transitioned into the cyberspace, actually, in early 2000, uh, working for Quest. Um, I was part of the first development team of launching Windows 2000 uh, IP server, L2TP VPN server. Um, I was there. I have the uh, the fortunate, I guess you could call it, um, experience of being with Bill Gates and launching that in February of 2000 at Moscone Center. It was the first uh, appliance-based VPN service uh, powered by Windows. Um, and then I, you know, working for Quest at that time, I also uh, helped build out the first cloud-based uh, IP VPN, uh, you know, cloud firewall uh, service uh, powered by Shasta at the time was Nortel on Cosign. Um, so that dates me a little bit. Um, and then uh, building out what was the first MPLS environment, building out using uh, 2547, uh, with Juniper building out that uh, virtual router uh, type instance. So been in security for a long time, um, transitioned into uh, more of a, you know, layer seven environment, layer four, layer, layer you know, uh, with uh, level three and building out the an MSSP practice uh, with inside a service provider where we launched DDoS. Uh, you know, so I was part of the 2014 NTEP uh, attack with using, uh, you know, uh, Radware as a way to uh, combat the uh, 2014 biggest DDoS uh, you know, attack at that time, um, building out also um, you know, various types of security environments from secure email to secure access tunneling. So, uh, and then building out the first uh, threat intelligence as a service, uh, taking intelligence and curating that intelligence and turning it back and enriching that and, and empowering that into people's SIMs client sims. So I've uh, been in this space for quite some time and uh, done everything from being on the keyboard to uh, you know developing and strategizing and bringing to market some of the most uh, robust and I would say sophisticated security services uh, that uh, that's out there today and still active today. You know, when you look back on, on some of those earlier days, you know, thinking back to you know, something like the launch of, uh, like you were saying, Windows 2000, I mean, can you give us some insights as to the, the evolution that you've you've experienced, the growth and the the sophistication and capabilities of these tools? Yeah, I mean, I, when you think about the evolution of this, it, it's 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 mind boggling to see how we have evolved so much uh, from traditional tunneling type activities to more cloud based SaaS environments. Uh, 
you know, no longer are we required, uh, you know, to to actually launch a client on your device when we're using software as a way to connect uh, using example SSL TLS. Uh, recently, about a year and a half ago, I built out a you know appliance based service that allow us to run uh, you know SSL connections and using OpenVPN to a services gateway and then out to the cloud and, and basically all an auto you know zero touch provisioning to say so to to evolve from you know having someone manually you know help you set up your tunnels establish the tunnels you know establish you know pre shared keys and connections and things of nature to automatically enabling that. It's just, it's crazy to see how we've evolved. And it's actually quite, uh, you know, exciting to see where we're going to go because of COVID-19, right? COVID-19 has taught us so much that the next evolution of cybersecurity and, you know, this, what I would call borderless, uh, you know, uh, environment is, is going to drive us to more cloud around monitoring the compliance and configuration changes, things that we did not do in the past that we're going to be obligated to do in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point, how we, I mean, I suppose it could, it could be looked at as a, as an upside, this push, this, uh, you know, we, we pushing us outside of our comfort zones into new areas. Well, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head right there, comfort zone. Look, what, cybersecurity has never been uh, comfort, Right. It's always been complex. It's always been hard to, let's just call it like it is, one, to communicate to people, uh, two, to help them understand the value of it, and, and, and three, and, and, and I think the foremost, is actually enabling it, right? Because too often, um, what I've learned over my years is people. it's still a compelling event, meaning that unless something happens to me, I don't worry about it. Um, and, and that's so much like law enforcement. It's it's a lot around activities. You know, it, let's just take you know a home environment. If, if the house around the street got broken into, prior to that happening, you didn't do anything. But now that it got close to home, what are you going to do? You're going to either go get a big dog. You're going to put cameras up. You're going to put an alarm system. The problem we have today is that we're reactive versus proactive, and cybersecurity has been that way for the last. You know, I would say 10 years, if not 15 years, as we're very reactive and we're still reactive today, even though we're being pushed outside of our comfort zone. I mean, think about COVID-19. It was reactive, right? We had to mm. move quickly to uh, to accommodate a remote workforce. Now we're coming back and doing what? Trying to figure out what holes that I open uh, to enable that from that reactive aspect. So, I mean, you, it's a it's a very interesting uh, you know bell curve that I see that goes on where we're going up and down and up and down, um, and it's it's hard to keep out in front. It really is. Yeah, you know, I I think it's a really interesting point, and and I I sometimes think about that um, you know that CISO standing before the board of directors and saying you know thank you for spending all this money uh, on cybersecurity uh, once again this year nothing happened. <laughs> That's absolutely correct. Nothing happened. However, th- that's actually a very good news story, right? Is is right, uh, right. <laughs> more and more, you know, you, I, that's interesting. You bring that up around the CISO going in front of the board saying, hey, nothing happened. However, what you're finding more and more CISOs do, uh, and I include myself as the CISO of Newspire, is showing the metrics, the analytics of why it didn't happen. Why? Mm. What did we do to incur- to ensure it did not happen, like vulnerability patch management, I mean, I hate to use the word of justification. However, it's because it is spending money, 
you have to justify the means, right? And uh, we're seeing more and more CISOs do that. Well, uh, let's go through some of the things that you've experienced over the past couple of decades when it comes to sort of witnessing the growth of threat intelligence itself, you know, it be becoming something that for many organizations is now indispensable. No, that's actually true. When you think about threat hunting, I mean, I think you have to first think about the threat, right? What is a threat? Um, and I think a lot of us have to step back and understand what is a threat in today's world. Um, and I actually, you know, summed up in four very, you know, distinct you know, buckets, right? Is there intent? Is there capability? Is there opportunity? Which then ultimately is the threat, right? And what I mean by intent is, you know, is the is there the goals of the adversary to achieve something, and, and have you enabled them to give the capability? Now I'm gonna spot stop there. This is you know between capability and opportunity is where threat hunting I think is becoming a necessity. Right, today's world is that bad guys are constantly scanning and looking for open doors. RDP is a great tool that people use today to do what manage your environments, but it opens a door of opportunity. Right, because they see a way in, um, and if you're not monitoring effectively you know, on tools or looking for traffic that looks, you know, let's just say, call it is, uh, is is normal. The opportunity there is now I can sneak in, I can sit there, I can understand and recon the environment and figure out other doors to come in, go out, and come back. Um, and that that is where we're at today. And I really believe that uh, you know, without some type of proactive threat hunting, looking inside your environment, it's not if, but when, and then when it does happen, what do I do? Because we're finding today that the dwell time, you know, obviously is what, 100 and some 50 days, which is, you know, come down from previous years. We're still Mm. finding that bad guys have been sitting in networks for over a year, over a year when uh, an incident response takes place. Because, and then to finding out the bad guy, bad guy has actually, you know, been there and has multiple ways in and out. Um, and we've actually seen it where coming in through multiple countries uh, because, you know, a global environment, global company is creating tunnels and they're getting encrypted and they're obfuscating themselves throughout the entire environment. So this is where threat hunting becomes so, so powerful in, in today's world. How do you describe threat hunting to folks who... Uh, are unfamiliar with it. It strikes me that that there seems to be uh, often an incomplete understanding of what goes into it. Well, I, I, that's a great question. I think what you know the, when you say what is threat hunting, I, I think do you have valuable stuff on your network? Do I do? But you, you but you come back and say, hey, I have defenses and I haven't been hacked. I was like, okay. So in short, the bad guys they're want to attacking you and they're trying to gain uh, access or foothold. So the whole idea of threat hunting, right, is the whole idea of uh, of trying to figure out, you know, it's not if but when, but the threat hunting is waiting for someone else to tell you you've been attacked. And why, why do you want to wait for that? Why would you want to wait for someone else to tell you you've been hacked? What? It, why do you want someone else to tell you that the attackers are already in your environment? Or better yet, do you want someone to tell you that all of your emails and their passwords and their hashes have actually been uh, comp- compromised and have been on the dark net being sold as part of database downloads? That's that there's there's where you go back to threat hunting. Do you want to avoid that? I mean, today, unfortunately, we know this for a fact that brand is an important piece in today's industry. So if you go out and you have been breached or your information has been sold on the on the dark net and then it gets out into the wild. 
it's game over for some companies. Some companies can never recover and others takes years for them to recover. So, my, you know, my simple point when I go is, you know, to someone is that do you have valuable stuff. Uh, do you have data on your environment that you feel that if, if you lost it today, what it would do to your company? And it's and it's sometimes it's people. Sometimes it's actual data. And, and you have to help educate. That's thought leadership that has to happen today. What, what sort of recommendations do you have for folks who want to get started in this? I mean, when you're when you're talking about organizations of different sizes, different capabilities, different resources, are there different ways that they can dial in uh, how they go about a, a journey to including threat hunting in, in their, their day-to-day business? Absolutely. I, I think when you start, when you think about you wanting to do threat hunting, I think you always want to want to start with the end in mind, right? What What is the outcome you're trying to overcome? Um, and the, the other thing I think is, and, and I get this asked this question a lot, is that if I'm a brand new CISO, what is the number one thing I'm going to do? is really identify your data, right? Identify your assets, your resources, your sources of data, integrate them, make sure that you've got visibility into that. And then the, the biggest thing here is, is threat intelligence. Look, intelligence helps us do a few things, right? I mean, when you think about the military aspect of intelligence, right? They're coming in and finding out you know, what is going to happen when they get there and establish some type of beachhead. Establish that some type of beachhead, get that intelligence, enrich your information around that intelligence, and then you know, begin, right? I mean, the whole idea here is you're trying to get triggers or something to trigger inside your environment around some type of anomaly, right? A notification from maybe something in the in the global threat or global, you know, global community, right? You know, the ability to leverage some type of tool that's going to alert you. And, and you know, today, more than ever, as people go home and they start working from home, their home is no longer their home. Their home now becomes their office. And I think that is a problem right now that's going to really expand the need for threat hunting, especially as we really continue to adopt the cloud and leverage the cloud and the ease of the cloud. And the fact that most homeowners today, let's just call it like it is, um, when's the last time they they ever checked the firmware on their DSL or cable modem? When's the last, do they even have a firewall? Do they have security turned on? Have they turned it off because of performance, because they're streaming? All these things are, you know, basically ways for bad guys now to say, hey, look, my vector or my tech is no longer going after the firewalls in a data center or inside Amazon Azure. I'm going to go to the easy point. I'm going to go attack them at their house and come in through that way. And because all the data is mixed, you'll never know the difference for the data. So there's a, so you ask about getting, you know, how do you go about approaching it? Always start with the end in mind. What are you trying to solve for? What is it you're trying to look for? and identify those data sources and really get visibility to it. How do you deal with that that commingling that you describe? You know, someone's at home and and they're trying to get business done, but meanwhile, uh, you know, their their kid is upstairs in their bedroom trying to do their homework or stream a movie on Netflix and so it's, you know, that that whole notion of the the castle walls or the moat around the the business that's kind of out the window these days. Yeah, but it's not, though. I mean, look, there's simple things you can do. Most of these devices today, uh, even older devices, support up to four different, you know, Wi-Fis, right, or we call SSIDs. Mm-hmm. It's it's easy enough to create a new VLAN or SSID uh, in your environment that can segment your home traffic from your work traffic. It's no different than creating a guest network for your guests that come to your, your device. So why not create a, a work uh, SSID? That way you have some, at least, uh, segmentation of your data. 
you have some way of separating your home environment um, from the other side. Um, and that's, that, that, that's, that's number one. I think that's the, to start there, to have some type of segmentation in your home environment is probably, you know, top of, should be top of everyone's mind. The other is, goes back to the same thing. Identify your data sources. You know, let's map those things. Find out what you have on one network versus the other. It's not that hard. I mean, you could Google that today and see a lot of those things. These are simple blocking and tackling things that we should be doing no matter what. If you've got an IoT uh, home, right? I mean, a lot of people have IoT devices today, and they're still leveraging the default prep passwords. Why not separate your work? So if I was coaching every CISO today, and you have a remote uh, you know, workforce, the number one thing is just provide them a step-by-step guide of how to create a new Wi-Fi segment in your environment just for your work just so that you can separate your laptops that are connecting to the work from your home. And it's not so much to protect work, it's protect your home, because now your home is no longer an attack vector. Um, I mean, it still is, but now you've you've gave it a little bit harder because bad guys look for easy targets. They don't like hard stuff that they have to work on. They're looking for easy entryways, and that, that's the best way of doing it because most people are deploying endpoint protection and detection response on their laptops and things of nature which is great, but if you just segment it, you give one more sense of segmentation in the environment that helps the threat hunter. It really helps the threat hunter to zero in on what they're looking for or looking at. What do you suppose uh, we're in for here? You know, looking down the, the road to the next year or so, uh, having been through this with COVID and, and folks having to work from home, is, is that, I mean, are we on a fundamentally different trajectory now? Um, I would say we're in a different trajectory. Um, I, I think what we're seeing is a new way of, of security operations. Look, we, we, this is a new, this is not new for us, right? Of being have a remote workforce, but remember, most remote workforces were doing what? They were launching a, a tunnel, an IPsec tunnel or a VPN client of some sort, um, and it was mandatory to come in. And and today, it's just not you know it's not feasible. Why? One is you know speed. Two is is you know the the compression you know obviously takes data uh, to a whole new level, but Right now, the the biggest thing you're going to see right now is how to protect the endpoint because it's because now look I'm going to call it like it is the war will be won at the endpoint no longer at the cloud because the endpoint is everywhere it, it is anywhere everywhere connected to anything um, and if you do not secure the endpoint you will lose the war you know really the this emerging discipline of, of threat hunting. The problem you have right now is that the small, still a small portion of, of companies today do not deploy it. They, they don't use it. They don't understand it, you know, kind of what you were talking about. I, I think the only coaching I would give to companies today is not to say no to threat hunting, but to partner with a trusted advisor or trusted partnership to help that. Um, you know, it's, it's an important piece of the tool set today because too, long, too often we're, re- we're relying on people, process, and technology. And then ultimately, we rely on technology. Technology is a flaw. Uh, with threat hunting, you offset the technology gaps. And I think that's what uh, I would coach or, or wrap this up is that don't be afraid of people. Um, there for the longest time, we, we, we touted that the insider threat was probably the biggest thing. But right now, the, the threat hunting, a threat hunting tool, a proactive threat hunting tool, or even a passive threat hunting uh, you know, environment inside your network will, will save you down the road. 
Our thanks to John Ayers from Newspire for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.